I am assuming that you were able to read Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 last night because that would give you a foundation for what you're about to hear. The matter of Christian liberty is an important matter of the religion of Jesus Christ. Romans 14 is entirely dedicated to it. A few verses in 1 Corinthians 6, all of chapter 8, a chunk of chapter 9, half of chapter 10, all dedicated to this one subject. Christian liberty. We are one of the strictest churches you will ever encounter when it comes to Bible doctrine. We are one of the freest churches you will ever encounter when it comes to what you do on your time in things that God has not addressed. That is the balance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christian liberty, what is it? The freedom from God to do whatever you want to do in matters that God has not addressed. What is it not? An excuse to break any Bible principles, put yourself in bondage, hurt any other person, raise arguments in the church, or harm the reputation of the gospel. So there are some limitations on it. And we want to consider this subject for a few minutes. I love the Lord, and I love His law. He teaches us, as we started out earlier today, the very first passage I opened you to was Galatians chapter 1, that if any man preaches any other gospel unto you than that which I've preached unto you, let him be accursed, is what Paul said. And yet at the same time, that man would say that there's a whole lot of areas that he doesn't care what you do as long as you look out for your brothers, the reputation of the gospel, and don't get yourself caught in a situation where you can't put something down. You had some wonderful verses read to you by our three brothers who read the Scriptures to you. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. And then this chapter where we are now looking... Romans 14:19 Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Amen. Brethren, these chapters that I've just mentioned, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 6, 8, 9 and 10 deal with two problems in the early churches. The early churches were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. They were started from synagogues where Paul would go and preach the gospel to those that had never heard it. Jews would be converted, then Gentiles would be added, so the churches were mixed. Half Jew, not necessarily half and half, but part Jew and part Gentile. Two issues would come up. The meat that was available in the shambles, which is another word for your grocery store. The butchers already left us. We have a young butcher in our midst. For those of you that don't know, that's something you're going to think about after the service, not right now. Meat was purchased in the shambles or the meat markets. That meat generally had been brought into town on its hoof and dedicated to some pagan deity, then butchered and sold. 
to a Gentile who had grown up eating meat that had been offered to those idols and then hearing the gospel and being baptized, it didn't bother them a bit. They knew that that idol was nothing but a chunk of stone and that steak sure tasted good and they loved to grill. Okay. The Jews, on the other hand, were monotheists who couldn't stand the idea of any other being in the universe being called God. They knew they had the only God, the Lord Jehovah, and they were not going to eat meat offered to some pagan Gentile idol. So they become vegetarians and would eat herbs, as the first few verses in this chapter tells us. Romans 14.2, one believeth that he may eat all things. There's a Gentile that doesn't care what's been done to that meat. Another who is weak eateth herbs. That's a Jew that still feels that the meat may be tainted or that even to grill that meat would involve him in some way with that idol. That was the first issue. The, the, the issue of meat or wine that had been offered to idols. They had their drink offerings just like the Jews did. They would come and dedicate their produce to their altars and to their, to their idols. And those who had qualms about that did not want to drink the wine that had been offered to such an idol, and they didn't want to eat the meat that had been offered to such an idol. Others didn't care. Now, if you really cared about it, if you had a conscience, if you were a Jew and you despised those idols, you, you worshipped the Lord Jehovah, you had always worshipped Him, you had never eaten that meat. The only meat you would touch is what your relatives would bring into town that hadn't been tainted by being offered to an idol. If you had a conscience like that, to see your Greek brothers in the church chowing down on meat offered to idols would greatly disturb you. It would be offensive to you because it would appear that they did not care that there was a God in heaven and that He should be worshipped. It would appear to, to you that you might as well go ahead and eat meat offered to an idol because everybody else in the church is doing it. And then once you did it, and you may have never done it in your whole life, you grill your first steak that had been offered to an idol and after you eat it, you are sick inside from a conscience that believes you have just committed sacrilege against the Lord Jesus Christ. So that was a dilemma in those churches. The other issue was that because they were half Jews and half Gentiles, the Jews were still enamored by tradition with the holy days that they had observed under the law of Moses. They had the Passover, they had the Feast of Tabernacles, they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they had Pentecost, they had other holidays from the Jewish economy. And this is taken up in verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And the apostle goes on to say that those who observe the day, they're doing it to the Lord, and those that don't observe the day, they're not observing it to the Lord. They're both serving the Lord, they're just serving Him differently in these things that don't matter. Because it doesn't matter as if you read the whole chapter. It doesn't matter whether you keep the day or you don't keep it. It doesn't matter to the Lord. That was the second issue. Jews were still enamored with some of the feasts they had kept their whole lives, and Paul didn't care. So he allowed them to keep the Passover. If they wanted to do something about the Passover while they were a Christian, you'll remember that even Paul went and had a vow and went into the temple to make the sacrifice necessary for the ending of his vow, and that's when he was captured in Acts chapter 21 and 22. That was the second issue. The Gentiles, they'd never been brought up keeping those holidays. They didn't mean a thing to them, so they didn't keep them. 
This verse has not anything to do about the day we worship on. The day we worship on is the first day of the week. It's always been the first day of the week since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only people that worship on the last day of the week are people that are still under the Old Covenant. They're called Jews and Seventh-day Adventists. Anybody that's a New Testament Christian worships the Lord on the first day of the week. Now, these days in verse 6, neither are they pagan holidays. These are not Roman Catholic holidays. These aren't pagan holidays of Baal or the, the goddess Diana of the Ephesians. These are Jewish days that God and the apostles could allow. God and the apostles could not allow pagan holidays to Diana of the Ephesians or any Christmas, Easter, Halloween, or Valentine's Day for Christians. If that were the case, if that's what Romans 14.6 means, then it would run smack dab against Deuteronomy 12.29-32 that tells us we cannot keep any days that come from pagan religion. These are days that God allowed because it was the time of Reformation where for 40 years Moses' economy ran side by side with the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of that 40 years, Jerusalem was wiped off the face of the earth and Jewish worship, as Moses had taught it, ceased to exist. And it doesn't exist till this day. Moses, Jews in the world today, nowhere on earth practice Moses' religion. PETA would be all over them if they tried to sacrifice any animal. That's all ended a long time ago. Those are the two issues. Now, we don't have issues that line up exactly with meat offered to idols, a religious matter, or holy days from Moses' law, another religious matter. We don't have either of those. But these chapters, there's a lot of emphasis to have Romans 14, 1 Corinthians, part of 6, all of 8, part of 9, part of 10. That's a lot of emphasis. And the emphasis is, and here's what Christian liberty is, and I've already said it, God's freedom for you to do whatever you want in things He has not addressed. If God addresses a subject, we do exactly what He said. If God condemns a subject, we don't want to get near that thing. If God commands something, we want to do it and nothing else. When God commands sing in a New Testament church, we sing like all of our fathers before us in the faith. We do not play because God said sing. When the Bible said, touch not the unclean thing and come out from false religion, we draw lines against compromise with false religion. Oh, brethren, here we are, such a strict church about Bible doctrine and such a free church when it comes to what we do in the things God has not addressed. But liberty has its limitations, as you have heard from some of these verses, and as I've explained to you, We can't get addicted to something so that we can't lay it down for our brothers. We should never presume to do something that would offend or hurt anyone else. We should avoid that thing. We should stop doing it or we should do it in private. We shouldn't talk about our liberty in front of others because we don't have to broadcast it. Because our liberty is no better than anyone else's liberty. God doesn't care. You're not the better if you do it and you're not the better if you don't do it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. What we're dealing with are things indifferent. That's an expression that some people use. Things indifferent. They're matters of Christian liberty. Things God doesn't care about. He doesn't care what you do. He doesn't care if you drive a Hummer 
or if you drive a Jeep. He just knows and you know that you'll save a lot of money by driving the Jeep. 1 Corinthians 8, 8. Meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. See, these are things God doesn't care about. And so let's consider for a few minutes some of those things and how we should treat each other in the use of those things. We don't have things that fit perfectly with meat offered to idols or Jewish holidays. But we do have a whole lot of other things. No pastor, no church, and no Christian has the right to demand his preferences or condemn those of another. You have freedom. We are the farthest opposite from a cult in the whole world when it comes to religion. I'll tell you about a cult. It's the Roman Catholic Church. There is no church on earth that has cult-like character traits than the Roman Catholic Church. That church has the power to tell its ministers that they can't have a wife. That church has the power to tell its ministers what they have to wear. That church has the power to tell you that if you weren't married in their church, your marriage is null and void. On and on we go with that church. That church put people to death for opposing its religion. That church has the power to tell you that though I just stuck a cracker on your tongue and you know it dissolved just like a cracker should dissolve, that was the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. That is a cult. That is mind control. This is total freedom for you, except be considerate of other people and do not do anything that would offend them. The only truth that's ever worth dividing over is truth where God has clearly specified something that He wants us to do or doesn't want us to do. It's not in these other areas. Now, brethren, this subject, and I'm about to evoke very strong feelings in every single one of you, and we will find out who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and who is a true Christian by your ability to rule your feelings and thoughts as soon as I start using some English words. Every one of us. There is no one here that is more opinionated than your pastor. But you know what? My opinions are no better than anyone else's when it comes to matters of Christian liberty. Do you know why it's going to evoke such strong feelings in you? The Bible tells us why. Proverbs 16.2, Proverbs 21.2, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Do you know what I think about my opinions? They're the best opinions. They're really the way God thinks if He'd have just told us in His Bible. If He'd have had 67 books, the 67th one would have been what Jonathan Crosby thinks. And you all think the same way. We all think our opinions are the best, the only ones, and everybody else ought to want to hear them and want to ought to do them, and they're really stupid for not asking and not doing them. That's how we think. And brethren, rein that in right now. Because look at all these verses, and I'm not going to read these four chapters to you. You just had chunks of them read to you, and you read some of them last night. Are you all ready? I'm about to try you, and it's worse than being burned at the stake for the sake of Jesus Christ. I hope you are ready. We're going to find out. The real Christians are going to be able to say, you know what? I have strong feelings about that, but it's not addressed in the Bible, so i got to let it go. Drinking wine. Having a television. Having a birth at home. 
vaccinations. There's four. I've got 40. There's four to get you started. See, there's some people that think you ought to drink wine. There's other people that think you shouldn't drink wine. And I'm going to do my best not to give away my opinion on any one of these. And that's going to be very hard because somehow this changes when I say things that I agree. Red Baker, don't you laugh at me. Because if there's anybody that's worse than I am, it's my brother back there. It's going to, I'm going to try not to show anything because I don't want to show anything. You, drinking wine. You know, there are people that have had drunkards in their past. And when you've had a drunkard as a father, and then you were taught that the solution to that drunkard as a father is to outlaw wine, you are a strong opponent of drinking wine. And then there are others that were raised in an Italian family where every time you had spaghetti on the table, there ought to be a glass of red wine right along with See? <laughs> right along with it. And they can't imagine how anybody can read the Bible and come up with not drinking wine since everybody in the Bible drank wine, especially the Lord. He drank so much, his reputation in Judea was a wine-bibber. One subject... And I have faced the wrath of both sides. And it's a matter of liberty. Because God doesn't command us to drink, and He doesn't condemn drinking. He commends it. But you don't have to if you don't want to. Except at our Lord's Supper. I'm never going to pour a glass of grape juice for anybody in here. If you think you've got to have grape juice, then go on down the street. There's 400 Baptist churches in this city that will help you out. How do we know that they served wine at the Lord's Supper in the New Testament? Because the Corinthians got drunk. And you can't get drunk on grape juice. You might drown on grape juice, but you don't get drunk on it. And Paul did not change the beverage. He just changed the way they served the supper. Oh, I'm nervous. I need that vent. I love the Lord. I will fight and I will die if the Lord will help me for things like baptism. Baptism is no matter of liberty. The mode of baptism is not a matter of liberty. Ian Paisley, such a champion for the truth. Faith, I mean, the Martyrs Free Presbyterian Church of Belfast, Ireland, and Faith Free Presbyterian Church in this city, and all the Free Presbyterian churches in between. The mode of baptism is a matter of Christian liberty. Get baptized any way you feel like it. That's no champion for truth. I'll die for the doctrine of baptism. But you know what else I'll die for? To defend your liberty to be on either side of everything I'm about to list. Drinking wine. Having a television. Home births. Vaccinations. Health foods. Smoking a cigar, children in sports, school curriculum, epidurals when you're having a baby, birth control in general, voting, pants on your wife, firearms in your house, pets in your house, circumcision, visiting the beach, spectator sports, restaurants with bars, Activities on Sunday, schooling options, makeup on girls, working wives, daycare, 
interracial marriages, drinking beer, coffee and tea, nursing or a bottle, cigarettes, union membership, gym membership, male or female doctors, alternative medicine, cosmetic surgery, birth control forms, bungee jumping, hunting, pledge to the flag, junk foods, wedding rings, dating or courting, salty language, Thanksgiving Day, marriage, length of hair. That's to get you started. It'll be on the internet in a couple of hours after we get out of here this afternoon. Those issues evoke strong feelings in us because you've already leaning toward one side or the other on one or more of those issues and you really think your position is right and everybody else that does it the opposite way is wrong. The only way that an item from that list can be pulled out of it and put in a list is to find where God has addressed it very plainly. When God wants us to take a stand on something, He can be plain about it. When He leaves something, it's obvious enough that He's left that one alone, and though we may have strong feelings about either side of it, We have to let it ride. And this is how we keep peace in a church where there are a number of members that all have opinions on one or more or all of those. I want us to be a church that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. And these things are matters of liberty. And I will promise you something as your pastor. I may disagree with your position on one of these subjects so much that it makes me ill in my stomach. But I will defend you. I will defend you and you will not be picked on in this church. And this church will not make rules against you. These are matters of liberty. These are the, this is the freedom that God gives. Amen. Now, let's quickly go through the limit. You know, this is not in the order of my outline, but I think I ought to do this. Because you may have misunderstood some of those. Wherever Those words that I mentioned, if any of them you construed to be, that would be breaking the commandment of God, you misunderstood me. When, like when I say marriage. Marriage is a matter of liberty. God doesn't say you have to be married. It's who you marry and how you act once you're in the marriage. What things are not a liberty? Let me go through another list that's shorter. What things are not a liberty? Flagrant speeding. You say, are you allowing a little bit? (laughs) Yes, I am. And if you want to see the Bible defense of modest violations of the speed limit, then ask for an outline called the Law of God and Christian Ethics. Flagrant speeding. They all, all the policemen know that. Everybody knows that. That's a general rule that's on the highway and there's no one in here that's going to call me down on that or I'm going to put a a global positioning device on your vehicle and show you that uh, you're a hypocrite. Flagrant speeding is a violation of an ordinance of man. God's given us ordinances and we're supposed to obey them. I don't want to waste any more time on that or we're going to be here till the sun sets. Marriage in the Lord. That is not a matter of liberty. Church attendance. 
Not a matter of liberty. Drunkenness. See, wine was a matter of liberty, whether you drink it or not, but drunkenness is not a matter of liberty. You cannot get drunk. It's a, it's a violation of a commandment of God. Catholic holidays. Shoulder harnesses. Abortion or devices that cause abortion. Flags in the house of God. Flags in the house of God. We don't have a Christian flag and we don't have an American flag because neither of them belong in the house of God. Amen. Americanism has nothing to do with Christianity whatsoever. And neither does that Christian flag have anything to do with anything. For those of you that grew up with it. Polygamy in the U.S. is not a matter of liberty. Polygamy in Saudi Arabia would be. Just hold on. Casual church clothes. Not a matter of liberty. Evil on television. Television is a matter of liberty, but watching evil on it is not. God has not given you permission to view evil that's corrupting you or your family. Seditious speculation against our government is not a matter of liberty. These are things that are not a matter of liberty. God has spoken. An organ in the church. Filthy speech. Giving thanks. We're commanded to give thanks. Single but burning. If you're single but burning, you're supposed to get married. Long hair on men. Short hair on women. Marijuana in the U.S. What makes marijuana wrong? It's against the law. Let's look at the limitations. You say, wow, I've never heard that come out of a Baptist pulpit before. Well, just read the Bible. And see if you can find those things condemned or not condemned. 1 Corinthians 6. Please, go with me quickly. 1 Corinthians 6. There are seven limitations to this liberty that we have in these things. Now, all of us should realize from the passages that have been read, we are to use that liberty in such a way that we do not offend or hurt anyone else. That's been said repeatedly from, from 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 8. And right here in Romans 14 where we were. But now we're at 1 Corinthians 6.12. The first limitation, do not get so dependent on one of these liberties that you can't lay it down for someone. 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful unto me. See? That's Christian liberty. All things are lawful. You can do anything you want. Outside of Scripture, of course. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. If they're not for the good of the church, I can't do them and I won't do them. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. There's the liberty of all things are lawful for me. All the things God's Word is not condemned is lawful for me to do, but I will not be brought under the power of any of them where I have to have it and I couldn't lay it down if I found out that it was offensive to someone else. That's the strongest argument in the whole Bible about tobacco. Because of its addicting nature. Or anything that's addicting. Because then you're brought under the power of it. What if you found out that it was offensive to someone? You would be bound as a Christian to give that thing up. And it's very hard to give it up once you get addicted to it. This is the strongest verse in the Bible against tobacco. You say, what about the verse over there? That's, in fact, it's right here in this chapter, Pastor, where it says that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And you don't want to defile the temple of God because your body is, is holy. Because Jesus Christ bought your body. Yes, and the Lord tells us exactly what's under consideration in 1 Corinthians 6. 
It's taking that body and joining it to a harlot in immorality, adultery, fornication, and whoremongering with a harlot. It's not about what you eat. Jesus said what you put in your mouth can never defile you, including smoke. It can never defile you. It's what comes out of the heart of man, and it's fornication that's condemned. For all of you young people, cigarette smoking is against the law of God because your father said, I don't want you to smoke. Do you know how I interpret that? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's how that one works. The limitations are 1 Corinthians 6.12. There's more verses, but I need to go to the second point. Number one, don't get yourself so caught in a matter of liberty that you couldn't put it down if you needed to. Number two, you can't argue, debate, declare, or question matters of liberty in the church. Romans 14.1. Romans 14.1. Limitation number two on these things is that we don't argue about them, we don't debate them, we don't go around telling each other what our liberties are. We don't have to do that. Now, you could have a fair discussion sometime, and I'm not trying to close off discussions, but to go around and just announcing your liberty, and this is where I stand, why are you telling us? Your opinion doesn't mean anything in the church. Mine doesn't mean anything. Because whether we do it, we're not the better, and if we don't do it, we're not the better. That's just arrogance. Don't do that. Can't do it. Because here's what the verse says. And I will fight this with all my might. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Here's a man that in one or both of these religious situations, he was a weak Christian. Paul, Paul wasn't ashamed to tell him that though this is a matter of Christian liberty, some positions are weak and some are strong. And even when a weak man comes along, you can go ahead and receive him. You can take him in as a church member. But you don't allow him to have doubtful disputations where he is sowing his little opinion in the church. Because in matters like meat offered to idols and all the matters I mentioned, if you do them, it doesn't, you're not better. And if you don't do them, you're not worse. God doesn't care. Verse three, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received them. In fact, God hath received them both. Verse 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. And who is our master? The Lord Jesus Christ. We stand or fall to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to each other. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Isn't that wonderful? God is on each of your side. In all these matters, even when we're differing with each other, he's able to hold each man up in his liberty that he has chosen to practice as long as he doesn't offend or judge anyone else. That's number two limitation. We don't broadcast it. Look what what 22 says. Here's about your liberty. Here's why I said you don't go talking about it. Hast thou faith? Hast thou faith in a matter? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Look what God says. Look at the liberty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Happiness is the ability to enjoy the things of life without condemning yourself. An overactive conscience is a detriment to your happiness. Educate your conscience so that you can enjoy more of the good things God has created. Touch not, handle not, taste not. And all are which to, to uh, 
perish for the using, in Colossians chapter 2, that's false religion. God's religion allows liberty in those things. But look what it says. Hast thou faith? Question. Yes, I've got faith to go ahead and do this. Then have it to thyself before God. Do it before the Lord. Don't go telling the church. Don't broadcast it. Don't invite them all over for it. Now, some of these things are going to come out eventually because some of them are visible. And people are going to find out, and I don't care. The Lord doesn't care. But when we have a choice, we keep our liberty to ourselves. We don't broadcast it because we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to cause any strife or disagreement. And we don't want to raise doubtful disputations. That was number two. Number three. You cannot do anything publicly that might cause another person to stumble. Look at verse 13 of this chapter. And I've got multiple witnesses for each of these, but we don't have the time. And you, you trust one verse enough anyway because you know it's true. Romans 14, 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Instead of judging other people for what they do, let's judge ourselves for the way we do it. And let's judge ourselves this way, that we don't do things in such a way that would cause another Christian to be tripped up in their Christian walk. That's a stumbling block or an occasion to fall. It would trip up a Christian in their walk with God of being happy in the Holy Ghost. I don't, let's judge ourselves to make sure we don't do anything that would trip up another Christian. That's number three. Number four. If your conscience doesn't allow it, you can't do it. And you should listen to your conscience. Even if you have an ignorant conscience, you should listen to it. Because if you go against your conscience, you're sinning against God, even in the thing that He allows. 14.5 One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. God wants you to be persuaded in your own mind. He wants you to be sure of yourself before you go and do something. Because if you're not sure of yourself, you're going to sin. Look at verse 14. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. This long list of things that I just gave you, God doesn't care. But if one, two, five, or ten of them you care about, that's because you have a conscience that to this point believes that to please God, you shouldn't do those ten things. You better not do them, because if you go ahead and do them against your conscience, it is in effect going against God, because your conscience is telling you God doesn't want you to do this. Are you with me? Your conscience establishes a second level of responsibility beyond the Bible. That is limitation number four. You better be sure in your conscience and you're not sinning against your conscience or you will sear your conscience and you will be a damaged Christian. A great Christian is one who has a very active conscience and they listen to their conscience, but they also educate their conscience. A conscience can learn. A conscience can learn that certain things are okay and certain new things are wrong. That's the beauty of the Word of God. But then you've got this constant companion going through life with you saying, no, no, remember, you're not supposed to be doing that. because of Oh, thank you, conscience. But if you sin against your conscience, you are violating Christian liberty. That was number four. Number five, if you can't edify the church in love, don't do it. Verse 15 of this chapter, 
If thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. If you know that somebody is grieved about something that you are doing, stop doing it. If you really loved other people, there is nothing in the list that I just gave you that you couldn't give up because of your love for other people. Do you know what Paul said? Paul said, if, if meat makes my brother to be offended, I will eat no flesh while the world stands. And Paul loved his steaks. Paul loved his steaks. Paul was no vegetarian, but he said, I'll be a vegetarian if I know my meat causes someone to be offended. What a, that is charity, isn't it? Amen. You know, it's so easy to say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. So easy. You really want to find out how much you love the brethren? What out of that list and all the other items that you could add to that list are you willing to lay down for your brothers and sisters? That was number five. If you can't edify the church in love, don't do it. You must do it to the Lord. We're still in Romans 14. I've read verse 6 to you. It says, He that regardeth the day regardeth it to the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. Verse 7, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. You must be able to do everything to the glory of God in the name of Jesus Christ with thanksgiving. Are you able to do that? Everything that you allow yourself to do. Because we had read to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with thanksgiving. Are you able to do it that way? That is a limitation on your liberty. See, that's connected to your conscience, but it's a little bit different. Everything you choose on that list, can you do it to the glory of God? And see, that's going to depend on circumstances sometime. Sometimes you're going to live in a place or have neighbors or be around family that you can't really do it to the glory of God because you're going to give offense. Which brings us to number seven. You cannot publicly do or promote anything that another conscience condemns. You are judged by other men's consciences. First Corinthians chapter 10. Go there, please. This is number seven. The last of our seven limitations on Christian liberty. Oh, do you know how much easier it is to have a book? We should have a manual. The Crosby Manual. Crosby Manual. Approved. Disproved. You know, and everything could be black and white. Churches do that. Sometimes it's an unspoken rule. Sometimes they have the manual. There's religions with the manual. They've got their mortal sins and their venial sins. See, I could say that some aren't too bad and some are worse. But I'm not, no, brethren, I'm going to teach you the Word of God. This is the pure Word of God. Now, I've just put seven limitations on all those things. This is number seven right here. We're not going to offend anyone. Look what Paul said in verse 29. Look at how easy the gospel is. I love the Bible. I love it. Forgive me for sounding like a child, but I want to be a child. I love the Bible. I love every word of it. People ask me questions all the time. Can I go and have a meal with an unbeliever? I've got a Bible verse. Can I go and spend the night with an unbeliever? I've got a verse. I love the Bible. Look what it says. Here's a block party in Corinth. These are not your ordinary American citizens. You know, they aren't going to the First Baptist Church. They're going to the first pagan brothel of Corinth. 
and they're having a block party. 1 Corinthians 10.28 If any man say it... i got to get verse 27. Sorry. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, this is a block party, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. One of the places you got your meat was at feasts that the pagans would hold. You know, they're celebrating something. Their daughter graduated from high school, so they've killed two oxen, and they're having a huge ox roast, and the whole block is invited. Guess what? Christians could go. You know what Paul said? If we're not going to take this position, then we ought to go out of the world. But he said we're not supposed to go out of the world. Whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. When he hands you that steak, say thank you very much. And get your knife and fork and go to town. But if any man say unto you, now, now if you're sitting there and if any man says to you, this meat's been offered and sacrificed to idols, eat not for his sake that showed it. All of a sudden, a man has made the meat that's before you an issue and you cannot eat that meat because that man is trying your religion and that man is identifying an idol associated with that meat and for your conscience and for his conscience, if you would read verses 28 and 29 together, you can't eat it. So we've got to protect everyone else's consciences as well as ours. That's why you ought to have your liberty at home so that no one tells you or, or lets you know that your liberty is bothering them. There's a reason for privacy. I didn't make it up. I'm not telling us to be secret closet Christians. I'm telling us to be secret closet Christian libertarians. That's what I'm telling you. We want to be open Christians. We want to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ openly to anyone. But when it comes to matters of Christian liberty, it says, have it to thyself. Keep that at home. Don't talk about it. Then you won't... I'm just telling you a secret. If you'll keep it to yourself, you won't have to answer for it all the time. And someone won't say to you, well, that bothers my conscience, because then you've got to quit. I'm trying to help you. You say, I've never heard this come out of a Baptist. I know. Isn't that strange? Listen, we believe in election and we believe in the responsibility of man and we exalt both more than anyone and we have the strictest gospel when it comes to the doctrine of Jesus Christ and the loosest way of living. Because God's going to hold every single one of you up if you keep those seven rules. Is that precious? God will hold him up. Who are we to condemn another man's servant? You know who the other man is? The Lord God of heaven. We have got to let that man and that relationship with God go. Let them do whatever they want to do, as long as it doesn't violate something specifically stated in the Bible. Okay, a few more points. Those are the seven limitations on Christian liberty. What are doubtful disputations? Doubtful disputations are bringing arguments and questions into the church, whereby you're trying to present your liberty and raising trouble in the church by making your liberty better than other people's liberty. Keep your liberty to yourself. Listen, you bring it up and talk about it. If someone says, that offends me, guess what? You've got to go home and stop doing that. If you're going to follow the Bible, you've got to stop doing that. Right. If I get a motorcycle, I ain't going to tell you about it until you see me riding around. <laughs> I don't even like saying that. That just sounds so rude. But I'm talking about a liberty. See, I, I like motorcycles, but you know what? My mother, if she knew that I got a motorcycle, oh, I don't want to think about that. But <laughs> You might have the same opinion. I think motorcycles are dangerous. Some, you might think that motorcycles are dangerous, and motorcycles are dangerous. How dangerous depends on the person who's riding them. 
Depends on the person that's thinking about it. You know what? It's a matter of liberty. You say, but you're our pastor. What if you get killed when a Mack truck runs over you? Well, that could happen in my Jeep. You know, it's a matter of liberty. And I don't like being sneaky. Do you know what? I'd rather tell you everything. You know that about me. But the reason I use that is I'm still on the point. Let's not bring up doubtful disputations by talking about our liberty in public. Because God doesn't care about any of these things, and you're not edifying the brethren by talking about your liberty. What if my conscience condemns me? Can you do it? No. Your conscience is another standard of righteousness that God's given you not to do. Your conscience may need to be taught by the Word of God so that you can do more things than you allow yourself right now because consciences can be taught. They change based on information they get from the Word of God. I'm thankful for the Word of God for that. Look at verse 23. Romans 14.23. Are you still there or were you at another place? I think you're at 1 Corinthians. Romans 14.23. Look what it says. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If your conscience is condemning you, don't do it. Because if you go against that conscience, you're going to damn yourself. That doesn't mean send yourself to hell. That means that you're going to be in trouble with God because you're going to have sinned against the vehicle God gave you that your thinking represents God. And so you're going to break your fellowship with the Lord. He that doubteth is damned if he eat. Don't do anything against your conscience. What about important things? I'm asking your questions for you. What about important things? Of course you think your liberty is important. Because every man thinks his way is right in his own eyes. Whatever is not addressed in the Bible is not important. Everything that is of, is, is of importance has been addressed in the Bible. Either God commands it or He condemns it. So don't ask me what about important things. Because if it's not addressed in the Bible, it's not important. Even though you want, oh boy, I, you know, if I, if I were to pass this list out right now and I'd say circle the important ones. If I, if I ran the offering plates down the aisle, which I don't even know if we have them anymore, and all those pieces of paper were thrown in, there'd be a whole lot of important ones, wouldn't there? Not, there shouldn't be after this service though. They're not important in the sight of God because He doesn't care. If we do them, we're not the better, and if we don't do them, we're not the worse. I've read the verses. I can't read them again to you. What about the important things? They're not important. If you, The only way you can make a matter of liberty important is this. You've got to be able to prove from the Bible that that item should be pulled out of the list that I just read and stuck into the things God has condemned or commanded. And you better have some good Bible plain witnesses that say that that thing is commanded or condemned. You better then take the rules that you use to get that thing out of the liberty list into the God list, you better be able to take that same process and apply it to every other matter of liberty and see if it holds up. And when you come to me, I'm going to help you do that. Then you'll find out how tough it is to go against the Word of God. And then you better be approved by the pastor who recognizes that that is something taught by the Word of God because until you prove that it's taught by the Word of God, it is a matter of liberty and there won't be doubtful disputations in this church because this church is going to live together in harmony and love. What about dangerous things? Here's back to the motorcycle. Some of you, what about dangerous things? What about things that put your life in danger? 
You mean like a motorcycle? It's a liberty. If you don't like motorcycles, you drive a Hummer. Do you mean eating things like red meat? You know, for somebody that wants to go read current medical guess, guesses and theories, you might come out against red meat. we got to eat range-fed chicken. Oh. How about drinking coffee? How about chewing gum? Ooh, I better leave that one. I have an opinion on chewing gum. A preacher from Scotland talked to me about chewing gum when I was about 16 years old, and I've never forgot it. But I'll not tell you which side of the issue I was on. You know, if you don't like red meat, drinking coffee, or chewing gum, then stick to water and bread. Those are all matters of liberty. Your idea of danger, especially as you get older, is another man's idea of pleasure. Be charitable. I already know that feeling. I am sorry, parents. For a motorcycle at 16 and a GTO with a 455 cubic inch, 400 horsepower, 4-speed, 433 rear end, 4-speed, dual induction hood scoops, I'm sorry for scaring you because all that was was pleasure to me back then. And now if my sons were to have one of those, I'd be on my knees when they left the driveway. We change. We change. You know, anything above a three-step, a three-foot step ladder is high. Not quite, but it's getting there. Dangerous things. What about deadly things? This is important. These, this is how we reason through and try to make some issues beyond liberty. Some argue that if a thing causes death once in a while, it is tempting the Lord and therefore sin. If something causes death once in a while, then to do it is tempting the Lord. You know I don't want us to tempt the Lord because that is found in the Bible. Jumping off a 700-foot pinnacle of the temple might, often, or will always result in death. A, B, or C? C, always result in death. That's what Jesus was faced with in Luke chapter 4 when he refused to tempt the Lord his God when Satan was trying to get him to do so. Riding a motorcycle. A, you will usually come home safe and sound and very happy for a better means of transportation. B, seldom come home. Or C, never come home alive. A, you got to reason through these things. Do you, do you die? Is there a higher chance of death on a motorcycle than in a car? Yes. Yes. But that doesn't change anything in the Word of God. Right. One's got a little bit of a higher risk than the other. Now, how about driving a motorcycle like a crazy man? Is that being prudent or is that tempting the Lord? That would be tempting the Lord. Do you know what all this takes? It's a word that starts with W and it's got six letters. What is the word? Wisdom. The Bible isn't black and white. The Bible gives us principles by which to learn wisdom so that we as wise men can apply them in all matters. If the argument is true that anything that may cause death must be avoided or you're tempting the Lord, then we need to first of all prohibit cars. The most dangerous thing our children do is drive at the age of 16. A 16-year-old with a steering wheel in their hands and 3,000 pounds wrapped around them and a two or three or 400 horsepower motor to propel them down the road is the most dangerous thing that I will talk about. Just ask any insurance company. 
Ask them what it takes to get that child insured. Because it's dangerous. Then we need to prohibit red cars, red meat, alternative medicine. Because those of you that believe in traditional medicine believe that alternative medicine is witchcraft and isn't going to do anyone any good. Then we've got to outlaw traditional medicine because those of you that believe in alternative medicine believe that traditional medicine is an automatic death sentence. Hunting. Do hunters ever get shot while they're out hunting? Home births. Do babies ever die during home births? Yes, they do. Hospital births. Do babies sometimes die during hospital births? Then have them in the car in between the two places. <laughs> Smoking. You know, please, and I'm not trying to be funny. This is a very hard sermon to preach, though you think I'm just having fun. I am not. You want to check my clothes afterwards? No. <laughs> That's a liberty. <laughs> Brethren, I am trying to open up the Word of God to you on all these matters that cause... Do you know what this does in most churches? The things I went through in that list? There are people in those churches that hate other people in the same church because they're on the other side of that issue. We are going to love everyone on these issues. For example, the one I'm on right now, what about deadly things? Motorcycles, red meat, home births, hunting, kids, 16-year-olds driving cars. You know, children driving at 16 is likely the most dangerous thing we do. Should we demand 21? Can we do it with the Bible? Three kids, at, three kids that are still at home, plug your ears. I would like to. A father could. That would be my liberty at home, wouldn't it? How about 30? How about horses? I'd feel the best with horses at 30. Now, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, and I, and I mean it, some of these things that I've just listed, like meat, alternative medicine, traditional medicine, they're there are some very strong opinions in our church. We're not going to take a position except the position of Christian liberty. And we are going to defend every man. And he's going to stand before God. Over the last three years, here's an example of how I apply this one. Over the last three years, I've had three parties come to me in and out of the church wanting to tell me about the crusade against birth control pills in some quarters because birth control pills have been known, have been proven in a minuscule percentage of cases to cause abortion. But a minuscule possibility of an abortion happening is no different than the larger possibility of our teenagers being killed in a car. This is a crusade that one... This is a crusade that some people get onto and every man has a different crusade. There are people that would like to raise the minimum drinking age, raise the minimum driving age. They would like to get rid of red meat. They would like us all to be vegetarians. And all these subjects you can take a position on, but you can't back it up in the Bible. You as a family can do that. You as a family can do that. But see, it's just a possibility of a remote, it's a remote possibility of something happening just like all the other examples I mentioned to you under this question, what about deadly things? What about blessed things? There are things in the Bible that somebody will say, this shouldn't be a matter of liberty because it's such a blessing. Birth control is one that people will say, well, having a child is such a blessing to, to limit God and the blessings that He gives you is to go against the Word of God. That can't be a matter of liberty. It is a matter of liberty at this point in this church. On, and, and I don't have time to preach a whole sermon on birth control but because God blesses something doesn't mean you have to maximize that thing in your life. 
Rain is a blessing from God. But we wear umbrellas and we meet inside and we construct drainage ditches to get rid of that water. But it's a blessing. But we control it and we use it for our profit, our pleasure, and God's glory. Marriage itself that results in childbirth is a liberty. How can you make childbirth not a liberty when marriage itself is a liberty? A person doesn't have to get married. It's a liberty. And until we have very plain Scripture that tells us we've got to use absolutely every egg that's available in order to create as many children as we possibly can, we consider it a matter of liberty. Wine is a blessing from God that makes the heart glad, but we don't force it on anyone. The Bible plainly tells us bread makes strong the heart of man, wine makes glad the heart of man, oil makes his face to shine. That is a good thing. All three of those. But we don't require anyone to eat any of those. If they want to eat salads all the time and not get oil, bread, or wine, that's their choice, and I will defend them. Though I may turn the other way and dip my hand into a bag and pull out a Big Mac. But I will defend them. Don't you think about any, anything about where I just looked. Our little sister knows how to go and cheat whenever she gets the urge. (laughs) What if I have seen the danger of some of the liberties that you've mentioned? Okay, you've seen the danger of some of these liberties. Then if you've seen that danger and you want to avoid it, then you rule against that liberty in your house. But don't condemn everyone else from doing it. This happens a lot in the wine issue because they grew up with drunkards and, and they blame the substance instead of the heart of the relative because it's hard for them to blame the heart of the relative because it's a dear family member. But drunkenness has never been caused by something in a bottle. It's always been caused by something that beats in the chest of a man. And that is his heart. He chose to drink more than he should have drunk. That's what the Bible says. Right. Nothing that goes in here can defile a man. It's what comes out of here defiles the man. Anything that goes in here goes into the draft, D-R-A-U-G-H-T, which is the word toilet or sewer in the New Testament. What about the most conservative? You know, my positions on these matters of liberty that you mentioned, they're, they're the most conservative. That makes, them, that makes them right, doesn't it? And everyone else should do what I'm doing because what you're allowing your family to do is not as conservative, conservative as what I'm requiring my family to do. This thinking assumes that a more conservative position necessarily makes it right. If your position is more conservative than God's, you can rejoice in being a Pharisee. Because the Pharisees were the straightest sect of the Jews' religion. If your position is more conservative than others, all you can say about yourself is that you are unmerciful. If we follow the Bible and your position is more conservative than others, I want to tell you something. We are dealing with matters of liberty. There is not conservative and liberal. It is liberty. If we do it, we are not the better. If we don't do it, we are not the worse. Let the Word of God convince our souls. Do you think I have opinions on some of those matters? You do too. But I am going to humble myself to the Word of God to keep peace in this church and for all of us to love each other. The Bible tells you plainly that if you have a bunch of touch-not, taste-not, handle-not rules for your life, you do not know how to enjoy life. Colossians chapter 2. Because God gave us those things to freely enjoy. 
being conservative to the right of God's commands is just as evil as being liberal to the left of God's commands. God said, do what I have commanded you. Don't turn to the right hand or to the left hand. And yes, I'm using our current use of to the right and to the left of what is proper. The Lord used that example. There isn't, there isn't more conservative, less conservative. You say, well, listen, listen, Brother Crosby, a motorcycle is dangerous. The most conservative thing would be to stick with my sob. You know, you can hit it with a Mack truck from any of 18 directions and it's going to keep its shape. And I can keep right on driving. Drive your sob. Here's how we look at that. You're saying that's more conservative? You're unmerciful. You've never been on a motorcycle. You don't know what it's like to have the wind blowing through your hair. You don't know what it's like to have a bug on your front tooth. You don't know what it's like to go down into a gully and feel the cold air. To smell the roses as you drive by them at 60 miles an hour. Because you can smell when you're on a motorcycle. See, your conservative position is only conservative from one angle. From another angle, it is terribly onerous. Because riding a motorcycle is a great pleasure. I don't have one yet. Brethren, this is so exciting. To, to, to follow the Word of God. You know how strict we are on some things, and here I am opening up a whole can of worms for myself. Someone will say, "Is not if we avoid drinking, isn't that the safest way to avoid drunkenness? And it's the surest way to avoid something that God gave you for your good and your pleasure. Right. But what about principle? I think there's a principle involved in what I, what, what's my liberty? And I've told you that before. It starts with P-R-I, just like the word pride does. Amen. There's no principle but what God has said is principle. If God doesn't take a position on something, He doesn't care what we do. And He gives us that liberty. All of Romans 14, all of 1 Corinthians 8, part of 1 Corinthians 6, part of 9, part of 10. A lot of emphasis on that liberty that we give each other. There's other guidelines. Does it even compromise or tend in the direction of breaking God's commandments? Does it... Does it lean toward breaking a commandment of God? If we truly love God, we want to stay away from breaking His commandments so we won't do it. Does it have the appearance of evil? So that others might, if they saw me doing it, they would think that I was sinning. Avoid it, because the Bible says abstain from all appearance of evil. Will it create an opportunity for me to be tempted to real sin? Is this liberty like restaurants with bars in them? Do I have a problem with restaurants with bars because I want to go hang out at the bar and... If that's going to cause you to sin, then you should have no liberty for going to a restaurant with a bar. Will it hinder the effect of God's Word upon me and my obedience to it? Will it dull my Christianity? Then mark that matter of liberty off the list because you shouldn't do it because you want to do everything in your power to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I do it to God's glory in the name of Jesus Christ with thanksgiving? May I be strong in my liberty? Can I really have strong opinions about what my liberty is? Yeah, as long as you keep them to yourself and God. Rejoice before the Lord at the liberty that He's given you. Are there any other considerations? My final two points. Children living at home. Children. If you're still living at home, guess who your liberty is? Somebody's already set your liberties for you. Unless your dad says, I don't care what you do. In, in some matter. Now, if a father says he doesn't care what you do in every matter, we got a, i got a problem with your father, but I don't think so in this church. Children, while you're at home, your father sets your liberties. 
some of these things, he might say, hey, son, do you want to play, do you want to play football or not? It's up to you. You don't have to. And I'm not going to keep you from doing it. It's your choice. And see, your dad gives you liberty just like the Lord gives him liberty. But while you're at home, your liberties are set by your parents. You, do you all understand that? Here's the chapter. There's a whole chapter about it. Numbers chapter 30. A woman, while she is at home, even if she were to make a vow on how she's going to worship God and give him an offering, if her father heard that vow, he could disannul it. That gives a father total liberty over a daughter's, even her thoughts and desire to worship God in matters of liberty. That's not a father keeping his daughter from worshiping God according to commandment. That's a father keeping his daughter from offering a free will offering to God because it wasn't going to be convenient for the family. What if the girl said, I'm going to be gone for a month, go to Jerusalem and work around the tabernacle for a while and it was harvest? A father could say, I can't afford that right now. You're staying home. And the Lord justified that in a whole chapter, Numbers chapter 30. Parents, when your children leave home, when your children leave home and they are in this church, they are in a church where I am preaching as hard as the Bible allows me to, to honor you and to love you and to be respectful and obedient children. Don't you take advantage of the truth of the gospel by trying to impose your liberty on their liberty once they are out of your house. That list of 40 can be expanded to 4,000 things. And they get tired of you trying to impress your liberty on them because your liberty is no better than their liberty. Liberty is this. If you do it, you're not better. If you don't do it, you're not worse. God doesn't care. And if God doesn't care, you shouldn't care so much that you put your relationship at risk with your children by pressing your liberty on them after they are out of your house and established in their own house. Parents, be wise. I do my best to keep all the families together, but they're to be kept together the way God has ordained. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for your kind attention, and thank you for allowing me the extra minutes to finish this. I'll take it as my liberty to preach as long as I felt convicted to preach. Thank you for allowing me my liberty. I love all of you. I love the Word of God. There's strong opinions on all sides of those subjects. But brethren, we can get along together if we'll practice the Bible. We can get along together, stay together, keep our families together, and have some wonderful days in the future.